Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of Comfort Films, where we're going to discuss Rocket Man. The Dexter Fletcher classic. We've got Taron Edgerton starring as Elton John, one of our favorite musicians ever. Absolutely. What, yes. What a vocalist. What a pianist. Yes. And today, March 25th, happens to be his birthday. Happy birthday, Elton John. Woo! So, yes. Happy birthday, EJ. I believe he is uh, 70. Five. 75. Happy birthday, Reginald Dwight. <laughs> Make sure I get them both. <laughs> That's good, because, yeah, this movie is all about, like, his two personalities. Correct. Like, how he's both people. He's like Jekyll and Hyde, but he's Reg and Elton. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, this is our 25th episode, and it's on the 25th. I love that. And Elton John's 75, which is a multiple of 25. Whoa. So much math, you would think we know how to do it. <laughs> no, still don't. <laughs> still don't. No. I did that using six. Uh, that makes me feel great and makes me feel not alone in the world. <laughs> well, Be I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, me being mathematically challenged, I'm glad it can be a good punchline in life. <laughs> you know, it, it does something. It does something. Well, it works out for me in many ways every day when I have to redo every single thing I do on a calculator. Well, we have calculators now. When we were younger, calculators weren't as easy. Like, you could carry a calculator, but I never carried a calculator, did you? No, and we weren't really allowed to so much in my school. Like, we weren't allowed to use them. I mean, like, in life. Like, no. you don't go to the store with a calculator, well, do you? Well, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember they sold wallets that, like, had these calculators built into them. Oh, my God, I remember that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That was pretty slick. I mean, I don't think I ever had one. I did not. I did have a, a tip card. It was like a, a business card size thing. A cheat that sheet. Would, yeah, that would yes. tell you like what 20% was of all these different amounts. Yep. Which was pretty awesome for me. But yes, having a, a iPhone or smartphone or whatever with a calculator on has been a huge jump in my quality of math life. But anyway, that makes I mean, sense. talking about math is fine in this episode as well, because this is all about music. And music is math. It is. And I've done a lot of music in my life, but somehow I'm still not good at math. <laughs> so I don't understand that. <laughs> but you're good that. at music. I'm good at music. Well, I mean, music is math, but it's also, there's like an intuitive quality of it as well. Right. Well, I also think just because when I was younger, I had a lot of classes that those things just kind of are in my brain. They're built in. It's kind of like I'm some kind of uh, martial arts master who led a different life <laughs> and came back in this body, and I can access those memories and do these surprising spin kicks for a man my size. That's really funny. That reminds me of that movie that's coming out, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Is that yes, what Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, that movie looks awesome. I can't wait to see it. Can't wait for that. So, yeah, Michelle Yeoh is dope. Yeah, and that the movie just looks super cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about Rocket Man. Today. We are talking Rocket Man because we haven't seen everything everywhere all at once. We will though. We will. So that counts for something. It does. Yeah. But uh, Rocket Man, we've seen 
several times, even though it's a fairly new movie. Yeah, we love it. We, I mean, Elton John is, like, so high up for us anyway. Mm -hmm. When we've talked a lot about music, I'd say, on this podcast. Oh, yeah. At times, excessively. (laughs) But this is actually our first time to do a film that is a musical, unless I'm mistaken. No, I think you're absolutely right. This is another milestone for us. Yeah, and this one is just... You know, how could it be bad for us when it's Elton John, who we freaking love? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's up there in, like, the top five of all time for me, I think. Fully agree. Fully agree. The voice is crazy good. He's got, like, soul, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he sings with all this feeling. And for me, like, when I got into Elton John, it was actually, like, the later years. I mean, I had heard... A lot of his music from the 70s. Mm-hmm. No, let me back up. I had heard some of his music okay. from the 70s. I mean, everybody knows your song. Yeah. You've heard, you know, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, like mm-hmm. all these types of things. But when I first started really listening to Elton John was in the 90s, like around the time that The One came out. That was great. And the Lion King soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Which was amazing, obviously. He was riding high. Yeah, I mean, he, and just, I just loved his voice. He has such a clear, amazing voice. And I happen to love piano music. Mm -hmm. Like, that's my relaxing playlist on Spotify. Like, when I've just had it and I have to, like, (laughs) go be quiet. Yeah. I put on, like, my quiet piano music. um, And he just plays piano so fantastically. So, you know, I just think he's great. But... After I met you and we started, like, listening to music together, I got way more into, like, early Elton John from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And now that's, like, just my, my stuff. Like, everything from there is so good. Well, it was just wall-to-wall-to-wall hits. And that doesn't necessarily mean they were songs that were released as singles or charted. I'm pretty sure all of his records debuted high. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm sure that's a lot of them debuted at number one. One of the biggest albums from him for me is Tumbleweed Connection. That is no- my number one, too. It's... I was actually going to ask you what your favorite was. Yeah. Same. Tumbleweed Connection is the one. And I, well, I don't want to confuse that. The One is an album from <laughs> the 90s. But I'm saying number one for me on the Elton John albums is tumbleweed connection and that's something that i did not hear until much later in life yeah i i don't know when i heard it but i don't think it was until i was with you and it's almost like a concept album kind of a thing like it's very like western yeah and it has all these songs that are kind of like you know western setting and and everything and we see in this movie like that that was something that was interesting and important to both Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Yeah, the cowboy connection. That's what yeah. they had when they had their first in-person meeting in the diner. Yeah. That's the first thing that they talked about. And there's a lot. I mean, that's pretty much everything that's going on on Tumbleweed. And there's just so many good songs in there. Like, there's really no bad songs, no. really. No. But every song is so good. I mean, I was looking at the disc- discography before we started the podcast because mm-hmm. I was like, just reminding myself what's on what. Yeah. And that album is just like wall-to-wall hits for me. It's not wall-to-wall hits because probably nobody knows like but like two songs off of it or something. Well, people, I think, know Amarina. 
because that was featured in Dog Day Afternoon, which was a very big film. I don't think that many people now know Amarina. Yeah, I didn't know Amarina. I didn't know anything. I didn't know one song. Burn from Down Tumbleweed. the Mission is the one that I think people oh, would probably know the most. You're right. I did know Burn Down the Mission. That's the one song I knew going in. Um, but I think Where to Now St. Peter mm. is on there. That's a big one for me. I, I love that song. Come Down in Time. Come Down in Time. Wow. <sighs> When, okay, so there's a version of Come Down in Time that's like a demo or something that you played for me at some point. Right, yeah. Everyone must go listen to that right now. <laughs> no one has ever sounded better than Elton yeah. John singing that demo. Well, he has such a gorgeous voice. Ugh. And when he's the best is when he's pared down. Yeah. And that's the beauty of Tumbleweed Connection. I there's love it. no real adornments, it's just him and the music. Yeah, he sounds so good in it, and yeah, his piano is so just expressive. Yes. And I mean, I think that like his self-titled album, which is like his second album, has some really good stuff on that as well. Oh yeah, that's, I mean, your song, you know, of that's course. right there. I mean, we also have No Shoestrings on the Wheeze, which is not like, I, I don't think that was a hit, but that's a song that I loved. It's, it's got a this, hit for us. Absolutely. It's got a real Rolling Stones. It sounds just like the Rolling Stones. I mean, that's what's funny to me is like when we started getting into like this Elton John, like the older Elton John stuff, how mm -hmm. similar it really is to some of the Rolling Stones stuff that's also our favorite Rolling Stones stuff. Yeah. Because my favorite Rolling Stones, like everybody thinks of them as like this rock band. But what I really like is their stuff that is, like, very much on the countryside. Yeah. And I don't even like country music that much. But I love what these rock bands and rock people were doing with country in the 70s. Well, when you take the Rolling Stones and you take a song, Honky Tonk Woman, and then they turned it into a country version and they called it Country Honk. Wow. <laughs> You know, yes, and, and it's awesome. It's it's perfect. I mean, there's a horn honk at the beginning from a car, and there's like some car sounds. So every time I listen to that in the car, I always look around because I think somebody actually honked at me. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but it's just you know in the recording. Uh, what's yeah. that one song where Mick Jagger's just talking? Girl with the faraway eyes. Oh, I love that song. Yes, another great song. Yes. And very country, and he's even doing like a hick accent on that, which is funny. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, they're great too. So good. That's just really the best era of music for me, I think. Me too. His 70s, like really top to bottom, all kinds of different genres, but the 70s music was just it. Well, the Elton John music, what stands out is it reaches out and it grabs you. His voice is so full and so rich, and it has this amazing range. And you always feel like he's talking directly to you. Yes. You feel like it is just an intimate connection where he's at the piano a foot from you, and he's just singing and playing and looking right at you. And he's honestly like a great showman, too. I mean, Absolutely. they really definitely play that up in this movie. Mm -hmm. But we've seen him. I mean, I've seen him a couple of times, both yeah. times with you. And I think you've seen him more than that. You've seen oh, yeah. him, you saw him before we even knew each other. 
And both times we saw him, both times we saw him together, he was older. Mm-hmm. It was after, I think, he had already had, like, vocal cord surgery or something. So yeah. his range is maybe not quite what it used to be. But his clarity is still amazing. Still got a great voice. Well, it was, I got to be honest with you, you know, for vocal surgery, I didn't notice that much of an adjustment. I really didn't either. I think that he just scaled everything down a touch. Like, maybe he was playing in a slightly lower key. Yeah. But honestly, I thought he still sounded phenomenal. And like, again, the dude is a showman. Yes. Like he's not wearing as much outlandish, you know, stage wear as he used to. I was going to make a joke when we came on that we're sitting here in the closet and like our sequin feathered headdresses for the show. (laughs) Which, of course, we're not. I would, like, scream if I had anything like that on. It would be awesome to have on. It would look super cool. But it is so hot in this closet. Yeah, we no are way. just covered in sweat. We it would is just not... be, like, literally flaming on fire in here. Yeah, I, I mean, I could ignite, like, you know, a vampire <laughs> in the rays of the sun. It's going to be like the Spinal Tap drummers, because we just have to... <laughs> We have to refer to Spinal Tap once a week. It's a contractual obligation. <laughs> um, yeah, but he he still, like, performs in these huge arenas. Yeah. As if it's, like, his living room. And he's just playing for his friends or something. He's really a fantastic musician and just kind of like an old-time kind of showman. Yeah, there's no other way to put it. And he's had many iterations of his band. There have been very uh, many different phases of his career because there was a time where it was mostly country. Then it was very rock and roll forward. Yes. You know, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. That is a rock and roll song. Yeah, there's quite a few of those on Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Yes. All the Young Girls Love Alice is on there. Right, which is yes. a great song I love, and that's very rock and roll. It's well, and the other thing is that Madman Across the Water, the song that's released and we know, you know, is on the album Madman Across the Water, is gorgeous. But there's an alternate version that they released, which was a rock and roll version of it, which was the original, uh, the original way it was, and it was like a seven or eight minute song, and it's just this rock and tune. And you're like, wow, he takes all these songs and he performs them in all these different ways. It's, it's just awesome. Yeah, it's it reminds me of Bob Dylan, because Bob Dylan, if I'm not mistaken, used to do that. He would get a song and he would play it every which way that he could to find the way that he liked it the best. Yeah, and sometimes that way was by Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> well, in this movie, I find that seeing his whole life story to his music somehow completely fits. Yeah. You know, it's like this jukebox musical yes. and we see this kid's story. And I feel like I watched his whole life, you know, all, you know, 70 years of it. Yeah. Right. And it, the movie is like two hours and one minute. It's a wonderful runtime. And there's so much emotion in it because he had such a turbulent life up to this point. Yes, he did. I mean, well, up to the point where the movie ends, which yes. I guess is around the time that he became sober. So, like, um, 91. So, early 90s. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I think you're making, you know, an important point. It's a jukebox musical, so it's not exactly like, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, that came right. out the year before and draws a ton of comparisons. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that was more of like a biopic with music in it, whereas this is really more like a musical. Like it's set up like a musical. It has the crazy costumes, you yep. know, which Elton John obviously wore as well. And by the way, the costumes are so good. They're perfect. And they're perfect all the way around. I, I really am impressed by the clothing they put on Jamie Bell as Bernie Toppin. Yes. I and mean, his it, hair, he looks like he's from that time. He does. If he, if you told me this guy time traveled, <laughs> I would say, yeah, he did. He did. I mean, obviously we know Jamie Bell from other films. But, yeah, I mean, this is a movie that really takes you back. And you do get the musical feel of it because, you know, there are musical numbers. And dance numbers <laughs> dance and things number. like that. And, yeah, it's, it's also structured like a story, like a musical story of a young boy who's like in love with music yeah. and very talented but he you know has a very difficult home environment mm -hmm. that he's forced to overcome and his own demons that he's forced to overcome yeah and you know how does he do that um and you know a big part of how he does that is through friendship mm -hmm. with bernie who again jamie bell is so great i actually think he's my favorite person in the movie um, and that's hard because Taron Edgerton is, like, phenomenal in this. The two of them together are the selling point for me. Everything else is top shelf. I'm a huge fan of Stephen Graham as Dick James. Oh, my God. We'll I come mean, back to him. We will. We will. He is definitely one of the standout minor characters yes. in this. Um, Dick James is this guy who's kind of a record company guy who signs, or a manager guy, who signs Elton and Bernie to, like, be songwriters and do music. And he has... He's, like, so, like, no BS. Yeah, it's hilarious. That it's wonderful. And his kind of guy, Ray, who works for him, is the one who actually starts talking to Elton John and uh, is kind of posing as, like, a bigwig. Yeah. When he's really just, you know, some... <laughs> some like office guy but it's great because Stephen Cram gives them so much shit it's hilarious yeah I mean when he tells them that they're like a couple of pricks you yeah, know what I mean well I mean <laughs> when he walks into the room right <laughs> while Ray is talking to Elton John the first time he's like what are you doing in my office having some meeting and the guy's like oh I'm just just having a meeting He's like, oh, you want me to get you some coffee or something? I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> and then, like, our favorite thing, I think we both, like, were guffawing, is when they're, like, all being pretty self-congratulatory about how great, you know, these songs are that mm -hmm. Elton and Bernie have been collaborating on. And Stephen Graham says to Ray, <laughs> what does he say? He says, don't hurt your neck sucking your own cock or something like I, that. I think it's don't break your neck sucking your own <laughs> don't cock. Don't break your neck sucking your own cock. <laughs> Holy crap. It's perfect. And it's, yeah, well, it's great because it shows you the, the evolution. Because even though, you know, we see this character of Dick James and we see this character of Ray, and they seem to work for an independent label because they sign them for records, yeah. you know, this is like the, the beginning of the Elton John, Bernie Toppin relationship. This is kind of like the, the first tier. Now, I don't know, you know, what label that is or, or what status they held at the time or what status they held now. But it very much felt like, you know, your first 
encounter and show business. You know, like it's a very solid, very wonderful connection. But there are things that are are beyond that in terms of, you know, what you're going to get. You know, like, I mean, going around the world, crazy, you know, crazy contracts. You know, just it's... uh, And playing your first shows. Yes. You know, getting to travel. um, Because even though, you know... Now we don't really think about it, but uh, in this movie, it's kind of presented like Elton John is kind of like this kind of kid who really hasn't been anywhere. Yep. You know, like he has big dreams about the world and Bernie Toppin does too, especially because they really love this country western type music. Right. And they think about like America and like the setting of all this music, Mm -hmm. but they haven't been there. So when they actually get the chance to travel there, it's such a huge deal. Well, we have Bernie and Elton, who become instant friends. They're fantastic collaborators. You know, there is uh, a brotherly relationship. You know, there's nothing beyond that. Elton tries to take it to, you know, like a like a sexual level. And Bernie's like, no, this is, you know, I love you, but, you know, as, as a brother. And they have this bond that's stronger than, like, I don't know, marriages it are It is seen. stronger than a marriage. Yeah. Well, like, we've talked about this before. Like, we've seen this in other things, mm-hmm. um, in music things, even. Yeah. Like, if you watch the documentary about the Gits, which is an amazing documentary. Fantastic. Um, the Gits were this punk band who were phenomenal. Um, and then, unfortunately, like, understatement of the year, uh, right before they kind of hit it big, the singer, Mia Zapata, who is absolutely phenomenal again a person with just a voice like straight from heaven um was murdered awful yeah terrible 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 story tragedy um i mean honestly if you're gonna go watch this movie like you need to like be prepared it's very difficult but she and the guitar player in the gits had that kind of a, a relationship it feels like and it was almost like after she was gone his other half was gone. Yeah. And there was nothing romantic between the two. It's just that they were like a music marriage. And that's what I think you have with Bernie and Elton. Yes. They are just, me. they're like friend soulmates. Yes. And it's, you know, I think that's an important thing that people don't acknowledge enough. Is that you can have a soulmate who isn't your lover mm-hmm. or isn't your spouse. Yeah. You can have a soulmate who, you know, is your friend. And in this case, I think that really when it comes down to it, that's what this movie is about. It's about the relationship between Bernie Toppin and Elton John and how much that enabled Elton John to overcome all of the trauma that he had experienced in his many other relationships that were close, like his parents both are very difficult people, to say the least. To say the least. I'm, I don't even know why I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> They're toxic. <laughs> They're like the super toxic. Yeah. Uh, unsupportive. Horrible mom. Horrible dad. Um, and, you know, the only other person I would say that in this movie is presented as someone who was in any way a supportive person to him was his grandmother. Yes. She was huge. Because yeah. when he was growing up in the house, I mean, he didn't have anyone. But she is the one... That said, I will take him to the Royal Academy of Music. I will make sure that he gets there. 
you know, she gets them there, she gives them bus fare, she gives them money for chips, and she always cares. Yeah. And the dynamic gets really interesting when Elton and Bernie are living in Elton's mother's house with her new beau. I don't know if they're married or what the status of that is. I'm not is. sure either. And I mean, the, they seem to be together forever. Yeah. But. And the grandmother. So it's almost like it's almost like there's enough evil energy in the house, you know, to, to, to maybe, I don't know. Well, I should say that the positive energy is almost enough to balance, to balance the, the very evil energy, you know, from the mother yeah. and, you know, the, the, the stepdad or almost stepdad or the... Whatever you want to call him, yeah, the, you know, the well, mother's I mean, partner. I felt like that guy was fairly good-natured. Well, he is with Elton's mother, yeah, and Elton's mother treated him consistently poorly from and, birth. Correct. Yeah, he did seem to show some interest in Elton when he said, "You know, let's get you a rock and roll haircut." So yeah. maybe there is some, there are some redeeming qualities. Well, and he got him playing music live I right think, as well okay so okay. i mean the guy seemed fairly supportive like compared to the his real father oh my god his real father so the real father is presented in this like the most cold horrendous person that i've really ever saying he's so villainous well he seems to be damaged from the war at least that's what he says is that he's hurt from the war and he doesn't have any feelings left and he has a terrible relationship with elton's mother yes um and he says that she trapped him into marriage because she got pregnant mm, um he resents elton yeah. horrifically yeah. because of that he doesn't show any affection to him and, you know, I can understand this war thing, but I also think that to some extent that's really presented as just an excuse. Yeah. Because later on, he has a new family with two other kids, and there's no issue with those kids. No, you're absolutely right. He's hugging them, he's holding them, he's talking to them like they're, like he cares about them. And meanwhile, he's still treating Elton like a piece of trash. Yes, Elton's father is a complete bag of shit. I, I mean, he. I, I mean, I hate him. You know, when you first see him, he just has this sourpuss look. You know, Elton is desperate to connect with both of his parents. All he wants from his father is a hug. Yeah. His father doesn't want to give it to him. Oh, his father never wants to spend any time with him. When he goes where his father is listening to records and tries to pick up a record and talk to his father about it, his father just yells at him and says, don't touch my records. Yeah, and that's something they could have connected over. Because right. even as a very young child... Elton is interested in music, and he shows a savant-level kind of talent for mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, he, you know, can instantly play music that he's just heard once that's complicated. Mm -hmm. He can, you know, imagine entire symphonies in his head with all the different instruments playing and things like that. And, you know, it's something where his dad loved music. They could have connected over it, but his dad chooses not to because... It seems more important to him to kind of stick it to Elton's mother than it is to be a father to his child. Yep. I mean, we also have to say that casting, 
Stephen McIntosh in that role was brilliant. Brilliant. Because Stephen McIntosh is great at playing a real dirtbag. <laughs> yeah, he is so cold and so evil. And he just does so many underhand things. Even when Elton tries to connect with him when he's successful and an adult. Yeah, it's still not good enough for no. him. He he's you know gets a, a one of the, he's like oh we have some of your records and he pulls it out and says oh get a pen get a pen and Elton starts signing it to him, but he's like oh no make it out to Arthur it's a friend from work who really is a big fan yeah he doesn't even care he doesn't even recognize what his son has achieved which at that point I think they were saying was that five percent of the total record sales on planet Earth were attributable to Elton John. I mean, that is an unbelievable accomplishment. And his dad cannot even say good for you. He's a piece of crap. This isn't our first Stephen McIntosh, actually. We had a rare Stephen McIntosh being a good guy in The Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes, yes. He was so good in that. He was such a nice man. He was young. He was playing Michael Caine's nephew. Yeah. Um, in that. So that was him being a good guy. Now we have him being literally the worst. Yeah. Elton's like, do you want to, I can get tickets to the concert I have coming up. I don't really go for that. Do you uh, know what I mean? Oh, it's terrible. You just want to punch this guy in the face, like until he dies pretty yeah. much. It, it's yeah. It, it's just, he's just erased and he's not important. Yeah. And then you have the mother who is constantly picking at him. Yeah. Constantly criticizing him. She's, she's awful also, but it's in a very different way where yes. his dad is just cold and just abandons him. Mm -hmm. His mother like wheedles at him incessantly yeah just works them down to a nub i mean the mother and the father the reason that they split up is that the mother was cheating on the father yes and that was the reason for their divorce and, and he was happy because it gave him a reason to leave yes and it was a justifiable reason you know so it wasn't on him yeah and the man that she cheated on um on elton's father with is the, the man that stuck around. This is the, the boyfriend that we think might have been, you know, they a new husband. They might have married. They didn't really, to my knowledge, they didn't acknowledge that during the movie. Yeah. But he's around. He's around. the rest of the movie. And I guess after our, our deep discussion, the boyfriend is, is, is better, I mean, marginally, you know what I mean? I mean, you don't have father, to, you know? You don't have to do much to be better than the worst thing. Absolutely. If you gave you know elton john a piece of gum you're better than his dad that's all you have to do and it could be half it could be half of an old piece that you found that had lint on it that is still nicer yeah the father is like below rock bottom so you could be like a, a catfish who eats poop off the ocean floor <laughs> and you're still higher up than Elton's dad in this movie. Yeah, I mean, you can and really... really his mom, too, because... Terrible. I think that it's just two different kinds of abuse that he's experiencing from these parents. Mm -hmm. Like, the first with his dad, again, is neglect. His dad neglects him, ignores him, withholds love from him. Yeah. His mother um, is more insidious in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like, she'll draw him in only so that he's close enough for her to hurt. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like nasty. a, it's like a 
I don't know, Venus flytrap or something. And it's never enough for her. Like, nothing he achieves is ever enough. She has to just act like it's not quite good enough. Mm -hmm. She has to act like he owes her something. Oh, my God, That's yes. a big one. Oh, her. yeah. And talk about how much she gave up. Ugh. And, you know, when he's asking, what did you give up? She's like, well, your father, for one. Ugh. Which we know that she didn't even want to be with this guy because he withheld affection from her, too. But she's blaming it on Elton as if it's his fault that she had a bad marriage and that she was, you know, abandoned by the father. It had nothing to do with him. He's a victim in the situation. And for her to be a mother and acting like that is utterly disgusting. Well, what I like is when Bernie is living in the house and Nan is there with the mother and the boyfriend, it's like the mother tries to pour that poison on Bernie, and he just doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't pay attention to it. He just fully ignores it. Yes, and that's why I long to be more like Bernie, because... He's a good dude. The, the more I watch this, the more I actually did relate to Bernie as well. Mm -hmm. um, because Bernie is fairly level-headed. It doesn't mean he doesn't have flights fancy. Sure. He's artistic as well. He's like you know, excited, though, about the moment, and he's able to enjoy it, mm -hmm. you know, and he always is trying to talk to Elton down, you know, to calm him down, to, like, tell him it's okay to relax and take a break and ask for help and do all these things that Elton can't do yeah, because his, his traumatic life experiences have taught him to behave the way that he behaves. I mean, honestly, one of the things that we said is that after seeing, like, this horrible, horrible experience he had with both his parents, mm -hmm. and then on top of that, he has a lot of other things going on, too. We haven't even addressed the fact that this is a gay man in, like, the 60s. Oh, yeah. You know, born in 47, growing up in the 50s and 60s, learning that he's gay, very young age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to understand how he's going to live with that. Because it certainly wasn't the same as it is now. It's still not easy. But back then it was, like, nearly impossible. And he had a lot of self-hate because of that as well. Well, it, that was it. He had no direction at all. The guiding light that he had was his music. And the support was from his grandmother. Yes. And then he found Bernie. And then music became his full life. He was able to live that. He was able to live that dream fully. That was able to be his job. That was able to to be his life. And that that filled him up. That relationship. But he still had this longing for love that he just never had. Yeah. And the movie always shows Elton John as being alone when he has his first big night. In the United States, he plays at the Troubadour, and it's this massive hit of a show. Everyone's partying. Everyone's having a great time. And he's just alone. Yeah, he's just, you know, he and Bernie are talking, and they're supposed to be going to Tower Records the next day. This was, like, their big idea. Yeah. It was like, we're going to go, we're going to play the show, we're going to go to Tower Records together. Yeah. But Bernie ends up meeting a girl and mm -hmm. kind of going off with this girl. Yep. And it leaves Elton John alone. And mm -hmm. it's, again like John just said, the biggest moment of his life so far. He absolutely murdered the show. Yes. Everybody loved it. Yeah. 
they've gone to Mama Cass's house for a party, mm-hmm. which is like this huge big deal. There's all these people there. Mm-hmm. But he's walking through the party completely in like a bubble by himself because, you know, he can't, he is not really allowed to publicly express the love that he feels either, like sexual love. So where all these heterosexual couples are pairing off and going yeah. off and doing whatever they want, he doesn't you know, he's not attracted to women in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him, it's like he's forced to live in secret again. And this is something that kind of keeps coming back over and over. Yeah. Because what happens at the party in the movie is that he meets this guy, John Reed, who's a music manager, who's gay. And the two of them start up a relationship, but it has to be secret to the point where John Reed tells him later oh, people are starting to talk. I'm going to have to get you a girlfriend because they have to keep it a secret because it could destroy his career. Well, and what makes that even more crazy is that you think, you know, I'm stupid. I, I see things and I'm always like, oh, he found a boyfriend. That's nice. This is good. This guy just wanted to use him. Yeah. He just wanted to use him for his money. And he does not care about Elton John at all. Yeah, and the more it goes on, the more villainous kind of this guy becomes. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. I kind of read somewhere that they had a fine... They, their relationship was fine. Like, yes, they broke up. Okay. But they continued to have a professional relationship for, like, another several years without oh, wow. any issues. Okay. But this... <laughs> in this movie... I don't know what John Reed was like in real life, but Mm -hmm. in this movie, he is most definitely portrayed as a villain. Yeah. Um, And, you know, maybe that's just Elton John's ultimate diss is to, you know, write a movie where his ex is the baddie, you know. Um, But, you know, he had... This was a very formative relationship for him. It was Elton John's first relationship with the male. And, you know... It was difficult because it was mixed with this business relationship as well. Yep. And this guy put the job before Elton. So, like, you know, he was more worried about him getting on stage and, you know, more worried about him making money and continuing to play shows and put out records than about his well-being. So, because of that, that's when... Elton John starts having mad substance abuse issues and starts self-medicating heavily because of his extreme trauma. I mean, honestly, and I'm not saying this in a flip way at all, I felt like it would have been a miracle if he had not had some kind of substance abuse issues, considering the trauma that he had been put through by both of his parents. Yep. Also by being gay in a society that absolutely did not accept that at all. Um, And being a creative person in this world, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is very uh, supportive of creative people a lot of times. Yeah, it's very Um, You know, and even if, you know, you do hit it big and you are doing well, it's only as good as, like, what you have out next. And that was definitely a thing here. Um, even when he was still working with Dick James, it was all about when's the next album coming out. Right, right. It's like, okay, we're going to pump pump out, you know, five shows, then we're going to go do three shows, and then you're going to go back to England and record a new album. It's like, you don't even have time to breathe because you're just a commodity. You're like a cash cow pumping out hits 
that all these people are making money off of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it becomes a, a thing where you're supporting all these people and the pressure of that is so extreme. Um, and, you know, that's when Bernie is trying to tell him, you can take a break. We can, you know, I'm going to take a break. We should relax. You know, he says, let's go to my ranch and just yeah. get away from everything. And that's when I think Elton John kind of starts to turn on him a little bit because he can't really, he feels like he can't do that. And he feels like Bernie is not understanding him. Well, and he also feels abandoned, which is a a big deal because he has felt isolated his whole life. And the situation with his father just leaving him cold, flat, I, I mean, that really scarred him. And he also, of course, has scars from the relationship with his with his mother as well. I mean, there's so many things that he goes through. And I mean, I will say, I don't know all that much about Elton John's real life. I know about the movie Rocket Man. So when I talk about this, I'm talking about the movie Rocket Man. Yes, ex- same as me. Like, I don't really know that much about Elton John apart from this movie which I'm sure parts of it are fictionalized. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, rearranged. And again, because it's like a, a jukebox musical. Right. You know, the the events are kind of laid out around songs that kind of seem to relate. So, you know, there's a lot of things in it that probably aren't exactly the 100% truth. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's what we're talking about really is the plot of the movie and the character of Elton John that we're presented with. Well, it's when he is separated from Bernie and then he also has his relationship with John Reed deteriorate when it's clear it's just business. And also his addiction has just gone out of control. Yeah. And his depression and his anxiety. I mean, one of the scenes that we have with uh, John Reed is Elton John says he's not going to play a show. And um, he calls his mother and he comes out to his mother, which is a very big deal. And his mother's like, I knew. And you're going to be alone forever. And you're never going to find anyone that cares about you. I think she says you'll never be properly loved. Yes. And so it's like he has this horrible phone call with his mother. He's jumped out of the car to make this phone call before he has a show. And then he gets out of the the telephone booth and John Reed grabs him. And, you know, Elton John pushes him. Then John Reed just decks him in the face. And you can just feel the hurt. It's not just like, you know, like a, a... it doesn't feel like a, a, an equal fight. It feels like somebody went up to, you know, this this person that needed help, yeah. that was reaching out for help. Yes, they did push them, but they're extremely emotional. And if you're in a relationship and you care about somebody, you should know that. You don't punch him in the face. No, he's definitely kicking him while he's down. Yeah, it's I horrible. mean, there's no question. Yeah. He, you know, he had already told him that he was terrified to call his mother and talk to her about right. it. Right, yep. But he has to do it right now because this is when... You know, John Reed is telling him, you know, oh, people are starting to talk. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to talk to your parents to make sure they know how to handle it. 
And, you know, he's terrified. He thinks his mother is going to, she's never been good to him. So why would he think that, you know, he's going to call her up and she's going to be really understanding about this? She's not. She's a total bitch as usual. And, you know, he needs help here and he does not receive that from John Reed. And this is the thing where I think we have to go back to Bernie and talk about how great Bernie has been the whole time because, you know... I don't think Elton John necessarily even wanted to admit when he and Bernie met that he was gay. And no, he did not. At least what we see in the film, he certainly did not. Yeah. He was outed by uh, that other band that that he uh, was on the same bill as. Yeah. He was playing like a backing band for uh, in a backing band for like the soul music tour. Yeah. And, you know, this one guy from that, from the vocalist, um, backup vocalist had kissed him backstage one day. Right. Um, and he kind of was shocked, I think by this and also very, you know, uh, disrupted, you know, by it Yeah. because it, it probably taught him something that he really had only thought mm-hmm. before. You know, but now he feels like, well, somebody can actually see that. Somebody could see that on me. Right. And that's a little terrifying. Um, But when he meets Bernie and they're supposed to, you know, they're thrown together to, like, work on songs, they go live with, you know, live in this apartment. And Elton has a relationship with the female landlady there. Yeah. Um, So he's, you know, with her trying to pretend that he's straight, but he's not. And they're out one night and this guy who kissed him says that, you know, he's gay. And Bernie kind of has a shocked reaction to this at first because he didn't know. Mm -hmm. And Elton is very, is just terrified in that moment that he's going to be rejected by this person who's the only friend that he's had besides maybe his grandmother yeah and bernie just is like no i don't care you know yeah but arabella's gonna be mad (laughs) that's the landlady um you know it takes him a minute because he's taken aback but i think for bernie it was more like gosh why didn't you tell me yes you know why didn't you feel like you could tell me and they both have like this moment where they're very scared that they can't trust each other, but then they move on, and it's really d- well done. And that's the night when Elton John tries to kiss him, and Bernie says no. He's like, I love you, but not like that. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, actually a great thing that they were able to address it in a really clear way. Right. And move forward as, like, this amazing team who love each other very deeply and they can tell each other they love each other right but it doesn't have to be a romantic love and i think that's very special because i think that not a lot of men in particular are comfortable with that Mm -hmm. well we also have another time in the film where elton actually goes so far as to marry a woman yes and it's because he feels so lonely and this person is seems to be genuine and take an interest in his music and speaks so highly and, and lovingly about his music and the way it makes her feel that, you know, in the film, this is, this is a shorter part of the film. You know, he meets her 
in the recording studio. Her name is Renata. And, you know, they meet. It's like, oh, I like your music. And you can tell by the look on Elton John's face that he's fallen in love. And, oh, this person cares about me. Then we, you know, cut to the, this big wedding at the end. And you see Bernie Toppin, and he's disappointed because he knows, you know, that Elton John yeah. is gay. And he's just, he's caused a real problem because Elton John ultimately, you know, and they, they get right down to it. And the next scene is not happy. He's drinking at breakfast. Like, I mean, yeah. He separate makes, bedrooms. Yeah, they both come out of the separate oh. bedrooms. Um, he makes a, a vodka screwdriver that's like three-fourths vodka, you yeah. know. And he's crying, and she's crying, and like, you know. He apologized, says, I'm sorry. Yeah. And she goes, I know you are. He's just made a huge yeah. mistake because he just wanted normalcy so yes. badly. He wanted, like, stability and normalcy so badly. And that's a really beautiful scene because they do um, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me as, like, a duet. Mm. And it's really wonderful. That's their kind of falling in love scene. I love that song anyway. Well, but... it's hard because he hates himself. Elton John hates himself. And we hear that, you know, actually come out of his mouth in yeah. the film. So he does all of these things to sabotage himself, you know, and... It, this marriage really is 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 the worst cut of it, I would say, because not only is he hurting himself, he is damaging this person that loved him. And she was completely innocent. Like, yes. she's presented as a complete innocent who, you know, really was just coming to this really caring about him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he takes, you know, as a, as a person who drove forward this film and the story of this film, Elton John takes, com as a person, is taking complete responsibility yeah. for making a mistake and really screwing things up um, by doing that. But, uh, you know, you can see the influence, well, I can see the influence of therapy on Elton John mm -hmm. with the way that this movie, the story of this movie is told yeah. because a lot of his journey is, is shown in kind of like flash forward and flash back um, where kind of the frame story is him in like this therapy group right? where he's talking about his feelings. He's exploring, you know, how these things started, what his relationships were like, when he was young and what kind of challenges he experienced as he grew up and what kind of challenges he had, particularly from being in the music industry where people will just do whatever they need to prop you up and keep you going. It makes me think of like uh, comfortably numb. Okay. You know, and the wall or whatever, which is the same kind of thing. It's just like, um, you know, just pump them up give them something to to be able to go out there and not have pain. That's something we've seen a lot in stories about entertainers, whether it be actors or singers or, you know, maybe even artists, whatever the case may be, just load them up, just yeah. load them up, medicate them, and, and get them going. And in this film, you know, the substance abuse is so strong that he ODs at one point. Yeah. And then we also have you know, uh, uh, OD, uh, suicide attempt, which is actually 
in the middle of this party at his house. Yeah, in front of his mother. mother. And John Reed, who actually is cussing him out yeah. while they're wheeling him into the ambulance. Yeah, and then it's like the mother is there with the partner, this guy we keep talking about. And then there are some friends of hers who were there just showing off. It's disgusting. And it's just this, it shows this party of all these other people, people that seem to have been there from forever, these hangers on. And it just really shows how it's like these people are all leeches. Yeah. They're just sucking his life energy. And he is just going deeper and deeper and deeper down the hole. And these binges, you know, don't seem to be providing any relief. They're only adding even more weight, you know, on yeah. his soul. Yeah. And the resolution kind of finally comes about after we've seen him go through all these shows where, you know, he is just basically running on cocaine. You know? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't even know where he is or what he's doing. No. Um, and he, he's like looking in the mirror, some of the most poignant scenes in this is like the one where he's like looking in the mirror and like, he's miserable, but he just kind of smiles like mm. fake, uh. you know, I've done this before. You've done this before. We probably all have Yeah. where you like, you just can't go on, but you have to. Right. So you like fake it and it's like, you're trying to fake it till you make it. And that's what he's doing there. And then in another scene, the one where it's like he's in Dodger Stadium with like the sequin Dodgers outfit on, mm -hmm. you know, he's like totally the walking dead. But people are like pulling his clothes on him. Yes. Setting the props in his hand, you know. And then as soon as he comes out the side of the stage, he's on, you know, and it's it, Taron Edgerton is a fantastic job. Of doing that switch, like playing, oh. like he had flipped the switch. Um, yeah, I mean, and on that note, I do think we need to sing the praises of Taron Edgerton a little bit more. I'm right with you. I was like, we need to talk about this guy. So, not only is he a fantastic actor, he really seems to capture the 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 mask, like the facial movements of Elton John. Yes, and these are very heavy emotions very deep seated emotions he takes on all of this trauma and he is able to play it throughout the piece now we have the benefit you know the audience we get to see his whole life when he's a kid and what happened and why and taron edgerton as an actor takes all that information and elton john you know emotionally i mean you see his anger but he's kind. He's a guarded person. Yeah. But we're still able to pick up on that. That's just how good this guy is. Then, in addition to that, he's singing these Elton John songs. Actually singing. Actually singing. I mean, that's one thing that I have always wanted to point out. With mm -hmm. like, you know, again, people do this huge comparison. Like Bohemian Rhapsody came out the year before, and Dexter Fletcher worked on that he some did. as well. Like, yeah. I think he does some uncredited kind of directing type work on this. He actually directed rocket man and you know we it's about a, a a seminal figure from like 70s music yeah who was not heterosexual you have very similar ideas like okay we're gonna do this movie about this famous singer guy mm -hmm. both guys who had 
some of the most fantastic voices of all time. Yeah, yeah. Freddie Mercury is like operatic with Oof. his voice. Beautiful, beautiful voice. It gives you chills. It's so good. And, you know, with Bohemian Rhapsody, I think they were trying to go for something as far as the music that was more solidly um, sounding like the original. Whereas, so they had somebody who kind of does an impression of Freddie Mercury singing and some of Freddie Mercury's actual singing. And then they mixed in like, I don't know, a tiny, tiny 1% drop of Rami Malek or something maybe. But with this, with Rocket Man, Taron Edgerton is singing all of it. And Elton John told him, like, I don't want you to do an impression of me. I want you to play a part of this character of who's me, you know? Yeah. So, like, Taron Edgerton definitely is able to put his own stamp on it. And he has a fantastic rock voice and he sings well. He had actually done an Elton John song before this when he was in the movie Sing. He's like um, the gorilla character. I think from saying is Tara oh, yeah. Edgerton and he sings I'm still standing in that movie. Oh. So he's done that and like um apparently he was has always been a big fan of Elton John and I think he one of his audition songs for getting into acting school he was singing your song. So like yeah. he's always been into singing Elton John and he's got an excellent voice. Um, Eddie the Eagle is another movie that Taron Edgerton was in that Dexter Fletcher directed. Mm -hmm. And Taron Edgerton has this song on the soundtrack of that, which is one of my favorite songs. It's called Thrill Me. It's phenomenal. Yeah, you've played that for I me listen, a bunch. It's yeah. on my gem mix. I'm on it now, too. Yeah, I'm like stuff. always, my. it's my exercise bike song. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, um, he's got a great voice, and I feel like the way he interprets these songs is very good. Like, and that's kind of hard to choose to fill. I mean, it's Elton John. You know, he has this unbelievable voice. Mm -hmm. So to come in and say, yeah, I'm going to sing Elton John songs is pretty ballsy, I think. I'd say so. And I don't know what the timeline is off the top of my head. But Elton John was in um, Kingsman, The Golden Circle. That was before this, too. So I think they were in that together before... Rocket Man came out. So this is like his third Elton John kind of a thing. And then they also have a relationship outside of the movies that we see on social media yeah. that they talk about them being close. Well, and we actually went to, John and I went to a Q&A with Taron Edgerton at um, SAG because they have these Q&As sometimes where you can go see a movie and also see like a question thing with the actor and so we had gone to that, and it was for this, um, and he talked a lot about it. And um, I think Elton John actually texted him during the Q&A. That's awesome. Um, and I think he was wearing a pair of glasses that Elton John had given him, which, again, like, can I just mention, I'm so jealous of Elton John's glasses collection. Hmm. He, like, has a pair of glasses that he could wear, like, seven different ones every day and never repeat it. And I love that, because I only have one sad pair of scratched-up glasses. <laughs> well, Elton John has got this wonderful sense of style. Oh, I yeah. love a lot of color. Oh, God. You know, couldn't and, do better than this. No, and then he had those very cool platform shoes you pointed oh, yes. out. That was like a... It seemed to be a staple of his look from pictures that I've seen in the 70s. Yeah, and I, I was telling John, like, he doesn't know this, but, like, in the 90s, there was, like, a, you know 
kind of a revival of 70s style. So everybody was kind of wearing bell bottoms and platform shoes were like a thing. And I squeezed all the juice out of the platform shoes trend that I could. I wore them all the time. Like I wore platform shoes like all the time because I'm not tall and I want to pretend like I'm tall. So, and I also don't have great feet for high heels. So it's not like I can walk around in heels, but platform shoes give me the height without like murdering my ankles. So I've seen that bell bottoms are coming back in. I'm very hopeful that platform shoes are coming back so I can be tall again for a few years. It's so funny because when I was younger, my dad wore bell bottoms all the time. And I would give him so much shit because I felt they were so out of style. I'm like, you got to cut it out with the bell bottoms. You got to cut it out. And he's like, oh, they're so comfortable. They feel great on my knees. And now, you know, a million years later, I'm, you know, an old man. And I'm like, man, bell bottoms are pretty good. I'd like to have a pair of well, those. Well, I mean, you the know? 70s ones were a little crazy because I felt like the 70s ones were like skin tight down to the knee. No, his like fit. His fit to the knee and they flared out. I wouldn't say they're like the most massive flare. Like you see some that are like... Yeah, like, that are crazy. Yeah, it looks like curtains that are folding in on themselves. <laughs> no, his were like just kind of a tasteful flare. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But like a yeah. gentle flare. <laughs> like a gentle flare. Yeah, I wore the heck out of some bell bottoms from like college into grad school kind of era. And uh, yeah, I was, I, they had to pry them out of my cold dead hands <laughs> when I went out of style. I just wore them till they fell apart. I freaking love them. I'm like stomping for them to come back and platform shoes. If I can get platform shoes again, I will be 5'8 for the next five years and it'll be a lovely wonderful life for me <laughs> where I can reach things I'm normal I look like a human instead of a hobbit I'll be really excited so and I will get every pair of shoes that Elton John wore in this movie because they were cool they had the silver ones they were like some brown leather ones that had like a patchwork pattern that I was coveting hard very good. But also, the costumes in this are phenomenal. And do yourself a favor and stick around for the credits because they kind of do like a side-by-side -side almost where like they show you an actual period photo of Elton John and a costume. And then they show you the costume on Taryn Edgerton from the movie. So you can just see how close they got with a lot of these outfits. It's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. And then the actual young Elton John, yeah. you know, and the, the child actor that they got to play young Elton John, who, you know, could sing. He could emote. Again, another superstar. There's no one in this film that, that doesn't carry their weight. Yeah, apparently this kid's name is Matthew Islesley, I'm assuming, or probably Illsley. Okay. But uh, he looked so much like baby Elton John like they did a side-by-side -side photo of the two and mm. it was pretty crazy but like he's so cherubic like the little kid has like this round face and these bright eyes and you know he he just shows you you just want to give him a hug you're like how can this father not give this kid a hug yeah he's so enthusiastic and he just is so wonderful and loves music so much and is just so excited about life and then you just see him, like, getting his, like, little dreams crushed up. And you just want to smack somebody for it. Well, they have some really nice 
musical numbers in this with existing songs and you have your own emotions that you bring like your song for instance everyone has you know all the emotions for that and i'm sure everyone has their own set of memories attached to it but when you watch this film and you actually see you know bernie Toppin has finished the lyrics hands them off to elton john elton john goes to the piano and starts to work it out for the first time you know bernie Toppin is like i'm gonna go for a shave then he hears the music and he hears how magical it is so he needs to come downstairs and he needs to hear it and then the grandmother comes in because she wants to hear it yeah and then you see the boyfriend come in who i've been slagging off on the whole time and but he's still a dick let's be honest and then you know and <laughs> I think then the you... boyfriend is i think that you need to like lay off the boyfriend i think he's okay all right look i mean he's with the worst woman in the universe well and the mother is in the background of this shot and she's out of focus and you know why because she fucking sucks she doesn't deserve to enjoy no she this doesn't moment. yours but it's not her song no, you know not, but it's, it's, it's everyone's song but your song <laughs> correct well but that shows you how and the... the father they don't get it no but that's how that's how the career is really born because your song i would say is the one song everybody knows from elton john if they don't know anything else yeah and that's what they show is the song that dick james finally is like yes you've done it you've written a song because what he told them was yeah 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 you're playing all this stuff whatever it's a dime a dozen i want to hear a song that old like gray gray bearded men are gonna whistle in the street or something like that something like poor that par- oh. poor paraphrasing no but it's yeah he wanted he wanted a song like that he wants a classic yes and they bring in your song and it is a classic but i think what i loved about that scene is really what you you started out talking about which is it's they made that scene about elton and bernie Yes. Because Bernie comes down and he's like blown away at what Elton is doing with these lyrics and change, you know, what the music that he's putting with it and the expressive way that he's singing the song. Taryn Edgerton is nailing it mm-hmm. like hard here. Yeah. And while he's singing it, he's look, he looks over at Bernie and basically says, this is your song. Yes. Ah, it's awesome. Well, it's yes, it's it's the birth of of their career it's the birth of their success and it's it's a deep and it's a deep connection yes between the two of them it makes me cry every time i see the scene well even when they show the people because they they cut over to being in the studio and he's finishing the song the people in the booth are tearing up yeah your song is a song that makes you tear up because it's so tender and it's so honest it's but again you know your song has that power beyond this film outside of this film but when you see it in this film and you see the actual creation of it you see them coming up with it it i love it i mean it's so meaningful like that scene is so meaningful and you know when you think about it it's not that complicated of a song it's fairly simple it's really like you know talking about a very specific feeling uh, that that one person has about another person but it's about like this deep connection and I just feel like it's something that everyone can relate to. It is universal. Yes. And the music that Elton John set Bernie Toppin's lyrics to 
is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just, it's the perfect marriage of music and lyrics that makes this perfect song. And I just, I love the way that they captured that in the movie as well. Well, it's... They did service to it. They I sure guess. did. And when it, in it, you know, Elton John says, you know, lyrics really, you know, it's not something I can do. And Bernie, that is his thing. And when we see Elton John as a kid in his room with a flashlight, you know, reading music and dreaming of conducting an orchestra, and he has all of this gorgeous music in his head. He has this symphony that he just conducts. Yeah, and he can just play things, like, right off the top of his head. Yeah. I mean, that, and they show that multiple times in this. Like, I guess, you know, I wasn't, I'm assuming this is true, but I wasn't aware that he was such a, a virtuoso piano player. I knew that he was a wonderful piano player. I love his music. Yeah. And a great composer, obviously. He's making the music for his songs. But, I mean, he can envision like the entire orchestra he can uh, he can uh just pop in and play an amazing song right off the top of his head there's a part where the first meeting that he has with ray the guy's like oh play something on the piano and he just starts playing candle in the wind (laughs) and the guy's like oh wow that's really great what's it called he's like oh uh, it's nothing i just made it up right now It's like, are you kidding me? That's and, a genius. I mean, we have other people that we like listening to who kind of have um, a similar thing about them. And they have like a lick of music, you know, that they keep bringing back mm-hmm. throughout multiple songs. Like Jimi Hendrix, I think, definitely has that. For sure. Um, John Frusciante definitely has that. Where like you'll hear a song and then you'll hear a snippet of that song and another song. Because it's like something they're kind of obsessed <laughs> with making it work. And I think we see that here with Elton John, too. So it's it, it's kind of a universal, I guess, composer thing. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just think this movie is a very special movie. I really like it. I think this is our third or fourth time watching it, which is kind of a lot. Yeah. Because, um, again, it's only like three years old. It came out in like May of 2019, I believe. And uh, actually, it's probably our fourth time because I think we saw it at the theater then we saw it at the Taryn Edgerton Q&A again probably and then we've seen it at home a couple times so um it's you know and I would watch it again oh yeah like, and and that's saying something because it, it is traumatizing to some extent like it's emotionally difficult to watch well that's I mean why did we pick it for comfort films It's because you get to see the life of this massive talent and you get to see how this person perseveres against incredible odds. You know, everything is stacked against Elton John and yet he comes out in the end a fully adjusted, sober man, happily married. Yes. He has this amazing body of music he does a bunch of charitable work. Yeah. You know, it, it shows you that you can always make it through no matter how dark it gets. So, I mean, if things are really hard in your life and you put this movie on and you see the absolute hell that this guy went through, you say to yourself, you know, 
I can do that too. Yeah, I mean, that's it. We're hope junkies. We've said it before. We'll sure. say it again. And this is a very hopeful movie. And even very though, much. you know, you really go dark and in the middle of it, you know, from the beginning to the middle, mm-hmm. in the end, you know, he came out of it, you know, and part of that was perseverance. Part of it was, you know, really finally getting help, you know, dealing with his psychological issues yeah. that, that were created from many years of trauma mm-hmm. and, you know, admitting, hey, I need help, talking through it and going through a therapeutic process. Yep. Um, because, I mean, like the last scene um, of the therapy is kind of that these people who have been part of his life kind of show up. And he talks to them directly. So he addresses his mother. He addresses his father. He addresses John Reed and basically says, I've wasted a lot of time on things that weren't important in my life. And I don't want to do that anymore. And then his uh, child version of himself shows up and he actually is able to give that inner child a hug. Yeah. Which is a therapy. Uh, I mean, I've, you know, heard of that being a therapy tool of like envisioning yourself as a child and envisioning yourself hugging that child Mm -hmm. um, as a way of supporting who you used to be and, you know, kind of healing yourself. And, you know, we actually see him really do that in this movie. Um, And then it goes on and and tells you, you know, what he's done since then, which is nothing short of amazing. You know, he's done just as much for AIDS research as any human being on planet Earth, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and, you know, his foundation is enormous. And, you know, in addition to that, he did, you know, end up marrying this guy. And he's, it says he is properly loved. Oh. So wonderful. And then you have a song in the credits that's all about him loving himself now. Yes. And and feeling that he is worth it. So, I mean, we've come through this entire journey. Yes. And at the beginning of the film, you know, you see him, you know, come into this therapy session and he's just dressed up as a demon. (laughs) You know, this fiery demon with horns. He has on these sunglasses that are in the shape of hearts. And the lenses are tinted pink. And what he does over the course of this is he rips the horns off, (laughs) you know, because it's like he's getting rid of all of this hate and all of these things that are that are just crushing him and that are getting in the way of him being the best version of himself, of loving himself and of, you know, loving life. Uh, it's just, it's really an amazing movie. It's a cathartic film. It is. And I love that you bring that up because that's exactly what's going on. And that scene is like, he comes in there and he's angry and he's fired up. Mm -hmm. You know, again, Taron Edgerton does such a great job of showing this because it's not demonstrative. He's not like, you know, punching people in the face, you know? Yeah. He wants to, you can see it. And it's like this, you know, coiled spring of energy in him where 
He just wants to go off, but he can't. He throws a chair. He does throw a chair. Yes, but I don't think... I'm saying it's not, like, directed toward other people. No, no, no. Which I think he wants it to be. Like, you know, I would. I have anger problems. Um, So I get it. But, yeah, I think that it's so brilliantly done that, like, he is coming from, like, this place of being, like, this furious devil. And it, it all comes down by the end to where I think he's just wearing like a bathrobe or something. And he's just gone from that. And then we see him and Bernie talking um, outside and he's kind of calm and he's afraid that he can't do music anymore Yeah, because he's afraid that, you know, the fuel for his fire was the drugs and drinking. And Bernie is like, nah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's it. And it's, and that relationship is back. You know, that friendship, they did have turmoil. You know, he says in the film that they never had an argument. Now, they, they never really yelled at each other, but they did have, you know, periods of time where they weren't around each other. I was wondering if that was tongue-in-cheek, because I felt like we definitely saw a few arguments, but maybe he just doesn't see them that way. Um, but, you know, it didn't really matter if they had issues with each other at some points you know yes Elton John did show himself definitely saying things that were hurtful to Bernie but Bernie had like this kind of zen calm about him right where he just realized it's not about me I'm not taking this personally it's about him needing to work out his own shit and you know we all need a friend like that absolutely we really do Friendship is never anything to, you know, turn up your nose at. Everyone needs a friend. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not saying we need a friend who's a punching bag. No. For sure. Absolutely But what I am saying is that we need somebody who is unconditional. Yeah. And I feel like that's the unconditional love he had was from his grandmother, who's a wonderful, wonderful person, and from Bernie, who's been like this fixture in his life since he was almost a child. Yeah. And, you know, they're still together now, like working together and developing things and being creative together. I mean, having that is big. I mean, I can be a pain in the ass sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I can fly can. off the handle. No, everybody can. But, but you know, I mean, well, there's fiery personalities. Right, right. Um, and then there's calm personalities. So it's good, you know, if, you know, the, the two can meet. And, yeah. You know, a person with a fiery personality can kind of be calmed by somebody who has a little bit more steady um, nature. And I think we see that here. And, it, you know, it also works because it keeps them creative. It keeps them creating together. Well, there's always a spark. You know, there's always some friction in any great creative relationship. Yeah. You know, because there's always got to be growth. And growth is not always a pleasant thing. True. You know? True. And it's not that you want to have, at least personally, I don't want to have a combative relationship with someone when I'm creating, but I just kind of feel like it's it's par for the course. It is. You and, know? you know, it helps to not, you know, take things personally because yeah. it isn't really personal, but it is also difficult. I well, that's it's so what, hard. It's extremely hard. I mean, I've had times in my life where I've dealt with people who have yelled in my face and said insane things. But since it was a creative environment, I just, in my head, I was like, okay, is there any actual useful, actionable information in this for me? 
you know, and then I would take that. Yeah. And, and then I would move forward. Maintaining like that calm rationality is very important in those situations if you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, that was a cathartic experience to discuss. Right? I mean, we, we rode really hard here. The one thing that I do want to give a very fast mention to on our way out the door, which is actually reopening trouble, um, which <laughs> is the John Reed Elton John scene where they sang Honky Cat. Yes. I think, like, you know, that's the problem. We I don't want to go on all night. No, right? no, no. With us, with us. But we could honestly talk about every single song. And, you know, which one is your favorite and why? And what did you like about this one and all? Because, the, like, there's really, I think I like almost every musical number in this. Yes. There's maybe a couple that I feel like are kind of like, meh. But overall, I think they're all really good. But the Honky Cat one really stands out. First of all, because I think that Taryn Edgerton sings that one amazingly well. Yes. I mean, it's, it's very Elton John-esque. But, like, with a little Taryn Edgerton spin. Mm -hmm. um, and also, the scene is just fun. It's great. And the two guys play off each other beautifully. And I didn't know Richard Madden sang. Yeah, I didn't he has either. great voice. Got a good voice. He, you know, he, he made it work. And this is, like, the part of the relationship where they're kind of having fun still. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's the first time, you know, they're having fun. They're going out. And, you know, John Reed has convinced him, like... To spend some money, you know, you're yeah. making all this money, like enjoy it. And, you know, of course, <laughs> one of the, one of the things that happens at the end when they're like updating us on Elton John up to now is that it says that he's been clean for 28 years and counting, but he still has a problem with shopping <laughs> <laughs> and it just shows him with all of these bags. So maybe this was, you know... John Reed enabling <laughs> him with shopping, but it's just such a fun scene. He's trying on clothes. He's, you know, he's this kid who's, you know, hasn't had a lot growing mm -hmm. up. He's kind of been deprived of many things, yeah, including even, you know, parental love. Mm -hmm. So to like be in a position where he can go and just have the spending spree is kind of like the dream. Well, it's, yeah, and they play it in such a fun way. You yeah. know, I mean, you, you see them, you know, at one point they're walking and they're in one set of clothes and then they walk into this limousine and then they come out on the other side of the limousine with another set of clothes yeah. on. I, I love it. These transitions that they have in these songs are so seamless visually. Yeah. And I love it. Again, like we mentioned, from the child Elton John to the older Elton John played by Taron Edgerton. You know, we see the child go through a hole in the fence. We come out on the other side of the fence. What do we have? We have Taron Edgerton. Yeah. It's, you know? It's really a, a very well-adapted musical because yes. it almost feels like it could have been a stage musical that just got kind of you know, zhuzhed up by the introduction of editing and special effects and things like this. I would love to see this on stage. I, think I would, it would be love great. to see this on stage. I think stage. it would be great. Yeah. So, uh, anything else you want to add about the movie? I love it. It's great. <laughs> you know, Elton John rules. Elton John rules. We have all his records. We listen to them all the time. Tumbling. We make multiple playlists. Oh, God, I mean, we all do. different genres. I mean, you know, that I like. I mean, I like the country. I like the rock and roll. I kind of like what I call like kind of like that soft rock, 
you know i love club at the end of the street i get there you know i i'm all over I the place the video for that uh, it's like this animated video i love that animation from like the 90s yeah i mean is the song good i don't know i don't care i don't care either i was like 11 and it was a cartoon so i loved it so you know elton john they, there's just so much there to enjoy I could just listen to Tom Wee Connection on repeat for the next three days and probably will. Um, yeah. Okay, first thought. Okay, no censoring. What's your favorite Elton John song? Oh, God. No thinking. Ah, no thinking. No th Ask me. I'll do the first thing. I was going to say No Shoestrings on Louise. Woo! What's okay. yours? Daniel. Okay. You could ask me again. I'll probably say something okay. different. Okay, what's your favorite Elton John song? Uh, All the Young Girls Love Alice. Ooh, good song. What's yours? Amarina. Oh, dang, I'm Amarina. I love Amarina. What's my favorite one? Amarina. What's my favorite one? Where to now, St. Peter. What's my favorite one? Mad Men Across the Water. <laughs> They're all good. I really love Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. There's Big so fan of that. Gray love Seal. Gray Seal. The Gray Cage. Seal. Oh, so many good songs. Yeah. I mean, he just has everything. Uh, Burn Down the Mission. Uh, Burn Down the Take Me to the Pilots. A Ballad of a Well-Known Gun. Oh, so good. Yeah. I mean, all of these. All my of Father's these. Gun. Oh, My Father's Gun. Calm yes. Down in Time Again is a good mention. Talking Old Soldiers. Oh, even Country Comfort. Country Comfort is so good. I love and then, Comfort. like, I heard that years later, Keith Urban covered it. Yes, he did. Oh. So good. So good. Go listen to some Elton John. Happy birthday, Elton John. Happy birthday. Thank you for all the great music. Yes. Happy Thank 75th. I hope you have a wonderful day with your kiddos and your hobby. We're glad that you're happy. And we are. Thank thrilled. you for the music. We're so happy because of it. Yes. Thank you for the music. Thank you for this movie. Well, thanks for joining us this week for the 25th episode on the 25th. Boom. So I hope you enjoyed our little uh, Elton John show, and I hope you're going to go listen to some Elton John tunage. Yeah. Because that's good for me and good for you. It's good for everybody. It is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, join us next week, and we'll talk about some more movies. Absolutely. Until then, as always. Stay comfy, everybody. Stay comfy.